So I'm watching this guy in the background just kind of walking like a ghost just around the set. And I'm going, okay, that's Ed Burns. And um, that has to be Ed Burns. I'd never seen Ed Burns in my life. So I walk up to him and I said, are you Ed Burns? And he said, yeah. And I said, I have a question for you. He goes, what's up? I said, if I'm sitting in that chair beat up and this guy hooks me, would I would I fall or would I stay in the chair? His answer to me was, it could go either way. And I went, okay, I'm going to take a dive. Hey, everybody, I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to The Wire Strip, the podcast where we go through every episode of The Wire. Yes, uh, today we are going to be watching season two, episode two. It's called Collateral Damage. It's a good one, this one. Yes, great episode, this. And before we go into our chat, please do remember, guys, to contact us on social media. We're at The Wire Strip on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you do want to send us an email, we are burner at thewirestripped.com. So on to the episode. This is a, a chat that me and Kobe recorded uh, down in the boxcar uh, section of Shoreditch because there, you know, there were shipping containers there. So and we had to be authentic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was that, or just do it next to in the water. You know, so we didn't. Yeah, we didn't want that because there's you know dead bodies there, as we find out in this episode. He got the fire and the fury at his command. When you don't have to worry When you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole Hello, Kobe. Dave, how's it doing? I'm good. We're back outside the boxcar yeah. park full of shipping containers. Yes. It's cold here. <laughs> it's really bloody cold. It is cold now. We're so committed to being outside a shipping container for no real reason. <laughs> just, just to have some wild tangential connection. Yeah, to we want wire. to vicariously experience what's going on, what would be going on in the docks um, yeah. in this season. So I hope it, hope it translates into this episode. I hope you can hear the noise <laughs> of all the dock workers. Yes, and the, and the cranes. Yeah. Um, episode two, collateral damage of season two. This is a great episode. Yeah. This is, I think this is like... The first episode was uh, setting the pieces. Yep. This is just pushing everything really forward. Like we're we're seeing some real momentum for where this series is going to go. Largely driven. I need a detail. By Valchek. CID people mostly, though I can spare some bodies out of my district too. What for? I got some guys in the southeast that are showing a lot of money. Port guys, longshoremen. Well, let's get straight to it. We've got 13 Jane Doe's laid out in the hallway. And that is, that's tough. It's a very striking uh, shot, isn't it? Yeah. The, the cold scene in this. That the, 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 I think Ed Bianchi directed this episode. Yeah. And yeah. It's a, there's a very powerful um, sort of helicopter or crane shot uh, looking down on all the bodies. And yeah. it's, it's, it's intimidating and um, upsetting. Because I think we saw, we saw their faces and we saw them kind of strewn out, trying to, as they were trying to kind of claw their way out of the container the last episode. Um, but maybe don't understand the magnitude of what's going on. But then, like I said, that crane shot just lays out 13, 13 body bags, and you, start, you just think, 
well, that's not good. <laughs> no, the scope of it is yeah, is quite something. Yeah, and I think um, everyone's everyone's feeling that, but in a different way. I think the interesting thing about this episode is that nobody nobody is really connecting with the fact that there are 13 dead bodies mm. on an emotional level at all. It's all business. It's a, it's a number for everyone. Yeah, yeah. it's a number. Yeah. It's and it's a number that nobody wants. Yeah. So in the cold open, we we see that um, already people are fighting over who's going to take these bodies. Officer Russell is told by the county police that this is accidental. Yeah. Um, which is it awful in itself that they're not even acknowledging the death of these women. It's just like a, a, an accident rather than like the serious, serious, serious crime that thirty that it people is. have lost their lives. They just don't want to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. And so Beatrice is is left to deal with it. And this is where, obviously, Beatrice is, um, we do see she's intelligent police. Uh, she's good police, but this is the kind of thing she's just not, and her department isn't set up for. No, they're dock police. Yeah. I, I don't think they've ever had something of this magnitude. No. And they deal with people, they deal with what might be petty thefts on a daily basis, but otherwise they're potentially, um, potentially glorified security guards. Going back to the Jane Doe's, we see the initial fight between the different departments at the actual at the actual docks, and then we and then it comes back to I guess be one of B D Russell's superintendents uh, superiors saying, "Look, we don't know what we don't know how to deal with this. We need your help." And Rawls is just a clear no. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. He's got his fifty-one percent clearance rate, <laughs> and I think he says this will bring him down to like thirty-six. Yeah, I mean it's horrific, and it's a it's a and a kind of shocking t- uh, capstone to that when you kind of realise that the stakes for this are significantly different to what you thought they were going into it. This is James Dyer. He's from Empire Magazine and the Empire Film Podcast. Like, in your head, you, it was like, oh, it's petty theft. It might be drugs. Is this connected to, you know, Avon? Is this, you know, is this how his drugs are getting? And actually, it's trafficking, you know, it's and it's a horrific image. And I think Amy Ryan does an incredible job of selling that, where she can sort of, she can barely comprehend what she's seeing inside that container. Like, the expression on her face, absolutely horrified. Uh, and as that plays out, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty horrific scenario across the board. And now Rawls as as Rawls is still Rawls. Yeah. Uh, all about the numbers, all about his clearance rate. And what we should say here is when at, at the start of the episode, they still believe, they believe it's an accident, but then little Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy McNulty comes along. And it's like, hey, <laughs> this, these are murders. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, these are murders, guys. So that, this means this is a homicide thing, and trans, and this is where the kind of the push me pull you really ha- starts to happen with Rawls um, and Beatty's boss. And there's a great scene where those two are in in Rawls's office. Rawls manages to bat it away. Then walks out to the rest of his team to get to get him a coffee. And all his team bunks there. Freeman's there. We see Freeman for the first time. Landsman's there. Then you see Ray Cole. Rawls slowly walks round the office doesn't say words you can tell everyone's like kind of dry at the mouth trying to work out what's happened he gets his coffee goes back to his desk goes back to his door then he gives a fist pump say we're not taking his bodies and that's what it's like they start we're not taking his bodies yeah they cheer and they shake hands and hug Um, this really upset me this scene the whole episode upset me because there's 13 women have, have died yeah and these are you know these are Traditionally, you know, in in our TV and uh, largely in real life, police uh, the police are worshipped as heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're the custodians of justice. 
Um, and that's what you know. That's, that's what David Simon's so good at. He's he's you know he spent a year in a homicide department, and he pulls back the sort of the the, the truth of it all. Yeah. And the truth is, it's a job. Uh, they have. Uh, numbers and KPIs and targets yeah. like any other job <laughs> and they just want to achieve their, their, targets. their yeah. targets and what they have to do yeah. and this means a fuck ton of paperwork it means uh, and, and it's a really hard crime to solve yeah. so from you know you can kind of see it from their point of view but also I just despaired when a whole room of people cheered that they didn't have to deal with or care about 13 dead women yeah Unfortunately, though, they do. Which <laughs> yes. It transpires later. <laughs> Jimmy McNulty. Yeah. What's so fascinating is uh, the way episode one of season two is written. Here's podcaster Andrew Johnston. And I guess episode two of season two as well. The way it's written is to weave together an incredibly complicated web. Like, we get at the end of the episode... A can of dead girls, which is so horrible to say it's a can of dead girls, but it's a can of dead girls. It's just what it is. And if everything else doesn't happen the way it happens, if Valchek doesn't have the window issue, if McNulty doesn't, McNulty all over that floating Jane Doe he found and just being the most McNulty he can be, nothing comes together. It would have been on BD to solve. It wouldn't have been a Baltimore murder because of the because of the jurisdiction issues. It's because McNulty ties the body to the girls that it's the same. They're from the same. Uh, they were all in the ship together, and because Valchek is watching, uh, because of the stained glass, that then it gets connected to the drugs. Like that's just like. It's the most convoluted. It's probably the most convoluted season in that way, which is probably another thing that turns people off. So yeah, but unfortunately, they we find out that they do have to take the buddies, um, and some more fighting and some more calculations. Not by Jimmy Minolta this time, but by people of his ilk who work out where. Well, Jimmy Minolta goes he kind to of manipulated. Yeah, because he? he goes to he goes to the um, the coroner. And him and his friend work out the time window for when the when the the deaths must have occurred, and then they trace that back to where the Atlantic Lights, I think the name of the ship is, yeah. um, where it was when the death occurred, and that puts it inside city territory, which means that Rawls has to take it, and you know, like we say, they're not happy about it. It's like it's classic, like McNulty fucking rolls over again, yeah. though, and I just can never get enough of that. Um, and this kind of it leads to a funny scene, but also like still a, a bit of a dark scene where we see the guys in the pub for the first time, and that's always that's always good fun. But Jimmy's been made to eat to drink fourteen shots of Jameson's because he put these these bodies. It was his fault, really. They yeah, put one, the bodies on them. One for every Jane Doe. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's real black, dark humor, mm. and I think that's the kind of thing you find if you um, if you, if you work the... in this kind of profession. Yeah. I think that's the, and that and that's a it's a natural human thing. I think it's a self defense mechanism. My, totally. My brother-in-law, for instance, is a paramedic, mm. and he, uh, he, you know, they they do they do treat these things with a certain black humor, and I think they kind of have to. Yeah, definitely. So the second storyline is back in the docks. Yeah. Um, so Frank, we see the immediate 
aftermath of um, the, the shipping container incident. Frank is furious because he doesn't know what's going on. Sergei didn't pick up the... Sergei, Sergei? Serge. Serge, <laughs> sorry. Serge didn't pick up the, uh, the package. Uh, he's, I think he's mostly angry. It seems that to me that Frank was mostly angry that he didn't know there were women in there or he wouldn't have put it back in the stacks. Yeah. Um, it, he seems less angry about the fact that women are being human trafficked, mm. which is interesting. And I think it's an important distinction. He seems, to me anyway, he seems kind of comfortable with the criminal activity that they're doing, kind of, but it's when uh, attention is drawn on him or, or when he thinks that he could have prevented their deaths. Yeah. I think I mean, on him. I mean he leaves that he he, he leaves that um, meeting by saying if there's anything breathing in the can containers I want to know exactly um, and I don't think he's happy about the fact that there is human trafficking going on I don't think he's really happy about the position where he's in where he is a major port he's a major thoroughfare for drugs and other illegal things going on but at the same time because of the way his career and his work is going, there's, ri there's literally nothing he can do about it. Well, he may uh, not be happy about it, but he's certainly comfortable with yeah. it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's allowing them he's allowing to it do happen. it. And so because he believes in all of these ideas and he wants to protect the, the, the community that he comes from, he enters into this deal with, uh, well, the closest to the devil that we've got in a way. This is Dave Pickering from the Getting Better Acquainted podcast. Because it's because the Greek and that whole kind of international organised crime syndicate that he enters, like, gives permission to, to, to bring in drugs and it turns out women, but he didn't know that at the time. That that kind of is a very, uh, very powerful, very kind of unaccountable organisation. It's not like uh, the Barksdale crew who actually have to like put their lives on the line a lot. This is like, the, the, he is working for the bosses. That's the thing. Like in order to get rid of the bosses, he's working for the bosses and he, and he is proud. Like he's, his, his ego is a big part of what causes some of the problems, I think. And we see Spiros at one point, and you, you just say, well, drugs, cars, electronics, uh, bombs. He's joking, he's joking about the bombs, but you know, that's only, I think that's only a little step, really. There could be that kind of stuff, that kind of contraband going through these these systems. Um, so I think that was a half joke by whoever wrote this episode. But yeah, you know, it could be it could be bomb making stuff. There. It could be weapons that are going through there. Where do you where do you draw the line? And this is just after 9/11. Yeah, not far after or 911. Yeah, as uh, Beatrice refers to it. Yeah. in this episode, it's interesting. I guess people hadn't figured out how to what to call it at that stage. Yeah, still at the docks. We we are. <laughs> Valchek comes to the docks to uh, to meet Frank Zabotka to try and get them to change out the stained glass window. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And this is where he really takes the, takes it to the next level in trying to deal with uh, Sabotka. Well, I think I, re I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah. I thought um, the two of them facing off together was really powerful. Mm. They're very similar in a way because they're both... Um, you know, they're both leaders in their respective communities. Mm -hmm. They're both vying, you know, they're in the same, they're in the southeastern district. They're both vying for the same sort of community trust yeah. in the church, etc. Um, but they've, they've met at loggerheads, probably because they are so similar. Because yeah. They're both quite stubborn and proud. And I think the way Valchek kind of enters, uh, and which Frank says to him, you know, you come in here telling me what to do. Uh, uh, it, it's not the way, that's not the way to deal with 
Frank Sabatka. Um, and you know, you can feel there is a history there in that relationship, just in that, in that, brief, in that brief scene there. I believe that, that my character had mixed emotions, okay? This is Al Brown again, who played Valchek. But, but in the final analysis, I, in all, all scenes I did, in the final analysis, he was a career Baltimore policeman, okay? And, and, and that means that, that his honor, the honor he had, and, and his belief in the department and, his, and, and the way to behave, etc., cetera, uh, he, he was not in any way a phony, if you know what I mean, right? But I really think Balchek was proud about being a police chief. When Frank buys the stained glass window to get in with the politicians, uh, he kind of his he's putting his ego, his idea of like we want to be noticed, we want to matter. Like he's he's actually putting that more important than actually keeping his criminal activities out of the radar of the police. And in fact, it becomes a, a pissing contest between Valchek and Frank Zabotka over some stained glass windows. If he'd never done that they probably would never have investigated him. He'd have never had any problem. But because he wanted to look like a big man and he wanted his community to look like big men and he wanted to have the, the ear to power, he completely shot himself in the foot and, and any good he could have done uh, is gone over a stained glass window. Yeah, it's so superbly done. I yeah. mean, we get the, you get three generations of, of, of story um, mm. from, from Frank about how his, his father said that uh, Valchek was no good, his <laughs> sis, sister said that he was creepy at the discos. I mean, not only does that dimensionalize Valchek so, so well, mm. um, but it also tells us so much about this community and that there, you know, there's been generations of Valcheks and Sapatkas living together in yes. the same space. All these characters are in this blender together. Yeah, absolutely. And this bits out with Valchek kind of saying to his guys, we need to, I'm just going to be a, primarily I'm just going to be a dick to them. So he sends <laughs> yeah. out sends out Carver and um, other officers just to go around and do all the menial tasks, which they normally would have just turned a blind eye to because why bother uh, ticket all the cars and and you know all the parking and parking offences which you wouldn't normally send your men out to do Carver's a it's a sergeant at this point he's got better I things know to do, he's surely. back he's back out on the streets yeah, he's got his stripes yeah, yeah. Um, he needs his best men on the job exactly <laughs> he needs to make sure those tickets are given correctly <laughs> um, and then we see we see Carver um, doing a DWI stop later on um, coordinating that with all the all the steep we'll come to that in a second I guess at 8 a.m. At 8 a.m. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun at, at the bar. This is Jeffrey Pratt Gordon, who played Johnny 50. And I thought, okay, drinking beers. That was the first scene we shot of the day. And as a former prop guy, I know you're going to do multiple takes. And here we are cracking eggs and beer, and we're going to do multiple takes. And it's first up in the morning. It was non-alcoholic beer, but still, it's not the kind of flavor I want to have first up, much less with a raw egg in it. So I thought, I'm going to be slick. And so I go to Mike, the prop guy, I said, hey, my character, it's like an asshole actor, my character would use a straw because when you drink beer through a straw, you're going to get more fucked up. And he's like, okay, whatever, Jeff. And he, he gives me a straw. But see, in my head, I thought, if I have a straw, then I can circle around and not drink the egg. Boy, was I wrong. First take, crack that, crack that egg in the beer, 
start sucking through the straw. The albumin got right into that straw and boom, shot like a cannon to the back of my throat in one big snotty lump. And it did not work. And so I did seven, I think we did seven takes of that. So I had seven raw eggs and seven beers and the straw did not work. Well, we see, well, we see Carver just after the scene where they're in the bar in the morning. Ziggy's trying to convince Nick to go in on him with a package because it's uh, because Ziggy's got to connect. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got to. As soon as anyone says they've got to connect in yes. the wire and yeah. they're this low level, you got to run a million Just miles. Why, it, yeah, it was Orlando last season. Yeah, Ziggy this time didn't work out, guys. And I mean, the the, the warning signs are there. The guy's called White Mike, <laughs> and we know from Herc <laughs> that the white drug dealers are no good. Yeah, we've, it's been laid out. <laughs> this season's been laid out by Herc in the previous in the previous episode. Um, yeah. I thought I thought this was interesting because. Like we were saying with Frank, you know, and Frank has moved his sort of uh, the line about what he's comfortable with back quite far mm. um, ethically. And so has Nick. Yeah. Like Nick, interestingly, in the first scene when Nick and Frank go to the Greek and Frank is furious, Nick's almost uh, like trying to calm him down. He's almost like apologetic, like it was an accident. Yeah. It was an accident. Don't worry about it. Like Nick seems largely okay with the whole thing which is an it's interesting sort of ethical uh, moral position for him and but when when Ziggy comes to him and says I've got to connect you want to sell some weed yeah. he's like no fucking way yeah, yeah. you know I don't I don't get into that that shit yeah he's very comfortable allow you like turning a blind eye to a much much more serious crime than getting actively involved in a very minor crime do you think he's comfortable or he just knows that there's no real way around it and it wasn't it wasn't intentional and hopefully it's like guys you've learned your lessons right yes yes nikki okay and you wouldn't do it again no okay <laughs> fine we'll, we'll leave it there okay then you yeah. be, you be good uh, human traffickers now okay and i think there's also that thing about distance because they put the containers on the trucks and they go off into into the distance that's typically how they do it but when you're dealing with the drugs and you're having to, you're buying the package and you're cutting it up and, you, and then you're selling it, then that puts you, A, in a different position culpability-wise with the police. B, you can no longer really absolve yourself from it. You can't, you can't just have the blinkers on because you are, you are in amongst it. There's no two ways about it. You get the idea that every single person there, if they had enough work going around and the money was coming in as, they, as it should be going to them, that they wouldn't be involved in the bigger antics, sure, sure. Anyway, I think they'd still be doing the odd boost where they'd steal a, a case of case of wine and champagne and stuff like that here and there and share it with the families at Christmas. But the bigger things, I'm sure, would not be would not be tolerated, um, or they just wouldn't even consider doing it. My name is Ryan Keeshaw. I used to be a journalist on the Daily Mail and the Sun, and um, I'm bringing the burner just to talk about my love affair of The Wire. Season two, um, when I first saw it, I just didn't like it at all. It was um, a real departure from season one, which grabbed me. It seemed boring, it was on the port, it seemed very thematic. But now, like other people who've uh, contacted the podcast and other fans I've talked to, it's their favourite episode. It's their favourite series, rather. I think this is mainly because it's 
it actually, when you've seen the whole box set, it puts it back into its narrative um, because this is the origins of the actual box set. Um, because you're seeing the port, you're seeing the life, you're seeing what Baltimore was in its heyday and how it's become run down. One thing I wanted to raise was that everyone has been going on about Frank Sabotka and Ziggy as being like the standout characters in this. For me, it's actually Frank's nephew and Ziggy's cousin, Nick, who's probably the most important character because you see a white working class man with a young family and there's no real hope for him. You know, he starts off wanting to go to work, wanting to do the shifts, and it's actually Ziggy who's making him go along with the Greek. It's, it's, it's his influence and actually it all spirals out of control. So watching Nick is almost like watching what's happening to Baltimore's youth and the fact that there isn't any work for them and the fact they have to go out and do it. Thanks, Ryan, for leaving that voice memo. If you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, you can also leave a burner message. We have an untraceable burner phone. Uh, you can leave it via WhatsApp. Our number is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. Or you'll find that number on all of our socials at The Wire Strip. And also, guys, if you do have a preferred voice memo app, then you can record it on your voice memo app on your phone and send it to us at burner at thewirestrip.com and we can view, listen to all your burners there as well. So, yeah, you can use that option as well. This week, we want to know where does season two rank for you in all five seasons of The Wire? Give us your, give us your rankings and tell us where season two is. And don't forget, guys, there is a competition this, this season. Um, anyone who leaves us a burner message will be entered into to a random draw to win the signed copy of the book All the Pieces Matter as signed by our live guest Clark Peters who as he reminded us all did not write it but he's, he's in it he's in the book and he's in the book and there's a picture of him there which yes. he signed coming back at Valcheck, we see Horseface stealing the surveillance van from the police car park <laughs> and this is this is ballsy <laughs> no, this is ballsy and shady and so Horseface is not is a distinctive looking guy, hence yeah. being called Horseface. Uh, short, stout guy. Doesn't really have a horse face though. Not, Where does that nickname come from? Not particularly, but uh, you know, he's he's no Brad Pitt, <laughs> no. I guess. Uh, and he's walking through the police car park with a long black trench coat, looking shifty. Goes past two police officers. They just say good morning and <laughs> tip of the hat. Yeah. Uh, it, I'm not, I've not seen a, a more shady entrance into <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into a scene before in my life. How bad is Valchek's security down yeah, in the exactly. southeastern? <laughs> yeah. So he just walks in there, does the typical, gets that that metal ruler. I don't know what it is that and managed to jimmy open a crowbar, the, is it, or something? No, it's not, no. So he slides it down between the panes of the oh, window. Yeah. yeah, so he slides yeah. that in, pops the door open. Uh, if anyone wants to write into us, uh, yeah, let us know. Let what, us know how to carjack a car. Yeah, what what is that thing called? Yeah, uh, it's a metal ruler, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, hot wires the van and drives off with it. But this is brilliant. In what happens for the rest of the season with this van is just uh, a source of amusement for me, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. And our third storyline in this episode is all about Valcheck and setting up a detail. Yeah. This is where this is where the, the core of the season starts mm -hmm. to form, uh, where a, a new detail is being put together to take down Frank Sabatka. And why? Because Valchek wasn't happy about his stained glass <laughs> window being taken out. 
It's a massive expansion of the world of The Wire. Here's Chris Hewitt from Empire Magazine and the Empire Film Podcast. I think the idea that this season, the actions of this season are largely driven by uh, connections to the church and ties to the church mm. and ties to religion is certainly something I think he, uh, that David Simon wants to explore as well. Uh, he's also exploring the, the pettiness of people. Uh, you know, again, the the investigation of Frank and the, and the, the stevedores is triggered by just sheer absolute pettiness. Mm. I love that sort of stuff. and I love the fact that he came to this season... I'm guessing here. I don't know. I've never spoken to him. Uh, he would think me an intellectual gnat next to him. But uh, he, I imagine he came to this season going, yeah, this isn't going to be the same show. I, uh, I want to explore other things. I want to explore other realms, which he does masterfully, I think. And yeah, finds out that Sabotka has some money and he works out quickly that he shouldn't have money. <laughs> yeah, he's a so, smart guy, Valchek. Yeah, so there must be something screwy going on here. <laughs> And if I can get a detail to pull these guys down, maybe I can get my stained glass window in that slot instead. It's so absurdly <laughs> comical. And like, it's just, again, it's like this, the, the beautiful inside of David Simon's writing. It's that cynical side of things. Yeah. Whereas like, and it was the same in the first, the first episode, the first season, um, when, yeah, McNulty had, uh, you know, good intentions for getting that detail set up. But really it was just the whim of a judge, yeah. Judge Phylum, um, that the whole thing happened and then he was kind of driving the whole thing because nobody else cared this time it's at the whims of a major who's on a personal vendetta uh, <laughs> of the most narcissistic kind and that's the only reason that Frank Sabatka is being investigated but the you have only to, reason you have to forgive him because it does give us good television <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so he goes to Burrell and Burrell kind of goes yeah I'll give you six people um, it's not really that interested but Valtek promises to help him in, in his campaign to become commissioner, yeah. uh, which is like fair enough. You wash my back, you wash my you back. You give me six uh, police officers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As the uh, old phrase goes. And then we meet uh, the, new, the HQ of the new, the new detail, and we, uh, and, we, and we meet them. We're introduced to them. Gentlemen, make yourself at home. I've seen worse. At least by the highway authority, but we can use it for an offsite. Furnace work? It does, and the phone lines. You'll need window units if you're here come summer. But somehow I got a feeling that you gents will put together a case quicker than that. Now this here is my district investigator, Roland Presbaluski. Kid's a prodigy. Anything you need from me, you go to him. Gentlemen, the target is Frank Sabatka. And anyone Frank Sabatka does his dirt with. Roland will fill you in on the details. Good one. So Valchek's in the center of the room. Yeah. He leads his uh, chief investigating officer, Presbaluski, finally back on a detail. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, and then uh, uh, crowd favorite Poke is there. So who signs the overtime slips? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love, yeah. Valchek's there, sitting happy as Larry, thinks this is, these are the boys. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know what it takes to put a good detail together, but he just knows... Prez is good police, yeah. and that's what he thinks is going to do it. You've got your name, Sabotka. Um, Prez knows straight away that he's dumped with a load of waste humps. Yeah. Um, yeah I love it. Um, oh, yeah, we see Paul. The first thing he says, I've, you know, I've seen worse. Um, commenting on going into the detail for the first time, I guess, in, in, season, in season one. Yeah, we're, see we're, we're seeing a lot of the same mistakes being repeated. <laughs> We go back into the Barksdale crew. We see Brianna 
coming back for the first time this season and she's visiting her brother, Avon. Yes, and they have um, they have a bit of a tete-a-tete, uh, mm-hmm. mostly about uh, about D'Angelo. Uh, yeah. She's worried that uh, D'Angelo uh, hasn't been visited by his son or Danette. And he's not being protected as well. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a weaker-souled person. Um, he's there for 20 years and he's not being protected. So, A, she's his mum. So, once there's that side of things. But, B, there's like, if he's not well protected, then he could flip. And that's what they're concerned about. They're the two main concerns about it. And I think that's the main driver behind Avon, like, wanted to protect more, is that he could make the whole thing go to shit yeah. if, he, if he doesn't do you think though do you think it's just about business because he does he does seem it, to be quite a family guy it, it does care for him but I think he is more driven by the I think he is very much driven by the fact that things could, could go to shit if, I guess he's always the business first yeah, isn't he yeah, it's making, yeah and you know both sides it helps it helps on both sides it's his it's his nephew and also he's protecting the business but he did I mean they did get badly burned by D'Angelo at the end of the first season yeah. as well you know? yeah absolutely yeah. And then we see Weebay's cell being tossed viciously and his fish tank being thrown on the floor. Fish tank full of electric fish, like mechanical <laughs> yeah. fish. Um, I, love that, I love that he still has a fish tank in prison. Yeah, it's great. And that's yeah. the thing he's pissed off most about. I know, yeah. They, they find his porn, he doesn't care. <laughs> but the fish... Never touch Weebay's fish. Never touch Weebay's fish. Make it, sure... They're taken care of. Do you think he's named the, Absolutely. the electric? Yeah, of course Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get, um, so, you know, Weebay's pissed off about the fish, so he talks to, to Avon, um, and they try to figure out why this guard is uh, so pissed off. Yeah. Uh, and Weebay figures it's he's the cousin of one of the victims that Weebay ate the charges yeah. for. Which I, I take to mean that you know he didn't even kill him. Well, we're not sure at this point, but right. he, the guard knows that his cousin is on that list of people that Weebay said he killed. Admitted to while eating a cheeseburger. Yeah, while eating a yeah. cheeseburger and you know getting more hot sauce. Yeah. Um, so that's enough. I mean, that's reason enough for for a vendetta. That's a reason for a vendetta, maybe. Not not stained glass window. <laughs> yes, yes, great point. <laughs> That's why you, you know, this treat, is life and death kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, this yeah. is why you treat someone like a bit of a dick when they're in prison. Yeah, it's, it's almost justified in a way. We told you to decorate, nigga. Still look pretty fucked up to me. You call him clean. I ain't done shit. Don't say that to me, motherfucker. Huh? That's two. Nah, nah, you see they plastic, they got little motors and all, man. Clean this shit before lockdown. Yeah, that scene, that scene with Wee Babe when I when I stepped on his, his baby his little cute little fish. It was personal, you understand? He had a personal issue with Weebay. Here's our chat with Antonio D. Charity, who played prison officer Tillman. Tillman was a relative of one of the people that Weebay had killed. So he let his, his emotions, the family connection, all that, you know, get in the way of what, um, you know, sound judgment. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, right, righteous cause, man. But, you know, you, you, you got to know that when you're dealing with this dude, you know, the uniform does something to you. I get why some security guards and some officers act the way they do. It, <laughs> it does. It, it kind of it, it does kind of, you know, uh, changes your disposition. Uh, to some degree. Um, yeah, but being on the set, 
having the unit the uniform, having the belt with all the keepers on it and you know, all the all the equipment, all the gadgets, the bells and whistles. It does help you to create that character. It makes you feel more like that character. It makes it all more believable. The last major part of this episode is going back to the Greeks and we see Sergei uh, arriving in Philadelphia because that's where the crew the cruise liner, the um That'd be a pretty disgusting cruise yeah, liner. Yeah, horrible, it? yeah. I wouldn't pay much for that. <laughs> we see that's where the uh, the ship, the container ship, has, has next landed is in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and Sergey and, and the rest of the crew land there to try and find out what happened because, they're, I mean, they're not happy about the deaths, mainly because they've lost a lot of money from the loss of the of what would have been prostitutes for them. Um but also, it puts a lot of heat on, on them as well, so it makes it more difficult for them to do the business. Um, Sergey finds this guy who's um, jumping ship because he's, he's obviously he's just like, oh shit, what's happening here? We're stuck in Philadelphia. Um, what's going on? He jumps ship. Sergey sees him, and the guy just bolts it, and they just think, well, that's that's he knows something, so they catch him, yeah. beat him up, rough him up, and next we see he's naked in a the chair. They came to Philadelphia to get me, so I find this out. So I try to run. They they capture me. And then they take me into this warehouse and beat the living daylights out of me, strip, strip me naked and beat the living daylights out of me. We spoke to Gerard Ender. He's the actor who played Sam, the guy at the end of this episode who gets brutally murdered by the Greek. But the, the build-up is, is basically um, that whole scene is I am transporting hookers from Eastern Europe for the Greek mob in Baltimore. Apparently, when they're on the ship, they're all in a container. And while they're on the ship, I take them out and pimp them out to to the uh, other ship, uh, the ship guys, whatever they're called. Um, so I pimp, them out, I pimp them out to the crew. And apparently, someone in the crew killed one of them accidentally. Uh it never said who it was. It never said it could have been even been me. I don't know. I say ours was low tech because I had a guy sitting on the floor with a huge syringe full of fake blood and a tube that was coming up my from behind the chair up my left arm. So it came up to my like to my palm, almost to, to my wrist. So when he came to slice my throat, I put my hand around my throat and then I did that the syringe guy on the floor started pumping the syringe and that's how all the blood came out. So I was like, when I read about, I don't know, one of the other HBO shows that had this, like all of this machinery to do all that stuff. I was like, damn, all we had is a guy with a syringe. <laughs> it's like, so the wire was done on very low budgets. And this is one of the rare moments of, uh, of violence in the wire. This is proper brutality. Here. Yeah. Yeah. This but is a horrible scene. It tells us a lot about the Greek as well, mm. um, because, you know, just before Spiros cuts his throat, the Greek says to him, I'm a man of my word. Yeah. Or he says something along those lines. Um, so that shows us, you know, an element of... Um, hi- he's highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. You know, he deduced who he was just from a tattoo. He, know, he knew the Greek flag, or the Turkish flag. He knew... Um, he knew, speaks many languages. He's clearly well-learned. But he's highly deceitful. Yeah. Clearly. You got these off the boat? What, in winter? A couple of months. Fringe benefit. Can't catch crabs in homicide, right? Mm Mm-mm. 
Except maybe the occasional emergency room nurse every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this episode, so yeah, we find out one of the benefits of working on the boats is that they get lots of crabs. <laughs> oh yeah, the crabs. <laughs> oh, it's crabs everywhere. They yeah. made some unholy mess. They oh, they just smashed them, smashed them open. Uh, crabs and beer. I don't, I'm not sure. If I, I'm not sure I've had crab before, but I'd like to try. Crab's nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever had crab meat and sushi? Or yeah, I've like had that. that. Yeah, yeah but I mean, never... it's just like that. It's very, it's, it's meaty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's Bunk, that's Bunker McNulty eating the crab in a, in an interrogation room. Yeah. Um, Bunk calls McNulty a pussy for not having the crab guts. <laughs> You're a pussy beside Jimmy. Which I don't think seems appetizing. <laughs> no, but 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 I think. Uh, well, Wendell Pierce is from New Orleans, yeah. he? so you kind of feel like he'd be very au fait with gross sort of uh, blended <laughs> seafood. That's, what's the what's the dish down there? Uh, yeah. Gumbo. Gumbo. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I thought was was interesting is the the title of this episode is collateral damage, and um, McNulty actually uses that phrase uh, when when him and Bunker eating crabs in the interrogation room, he refers to coal as collateral damage yeah. because coal had to pick up uh, the first Jane Doe that McNulty uh, stung Rawls with. Yeah. So he was saying that because he was his main target. McNulty's main target was Rawls, getting back at Rawls. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like it's, in, it's interesting to look at the other elements in, the, in this episode that could be treated as collateral damage. And I think that the, the, main, the main one are the 13 or the 14... Jane Doe's yeah. to the Greeks they're yeah, just collateral damage yeah. they're, they speak about them uh, in dollar terms yeah. you know they cost whatever it was two, a quarter of a million per per woman um, over a course of a year or you know they're just talking about finances yeah. and this is this is a number and a spreadsheet to them that's been lost it's collateral damage and it's like I've been saying for this whole episode none of, they're not treated as, as human and we never we never get a human moment uh, or, or even recognition that they were women who had lives and who died. We, we talked about how their, their deaths were callously described as accidental by the dock police and mm-hmm. the county police um, the, and the city homicide department cheer when they don't have to, to deal with them. And even, even Bunk says uh, to McNulty in the crab scene, he says, who, why do you care? Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Which and you you forget you forget with Bunk because Bunk is so likable yeah and we love Bunk so much <laughs> you forget that he's you know he's got the same problems as the rest of them he's kind of is just a numbers guy he just happens to be very very good at his job and very likable as as, a, as very personable yeah as a human being and a great guy to go for a drink with and eat some crab guts yeah and I mean Wendell says it on on this podcast people often forget about the fat finger. He he will yes. do things to get to get the red into the black, and you know he's that kind of person. Um, it just so happens he's a very funny guy, and we we love to hang around I with him. Still love the book. <laughs> okay, guys, that was collateral damage done. Next up is hot shots, and we'll be coming back to you with that next week. First of all, we'd like to thank everyone who contributed to this episode. We could not do this podcast without you. Yeah, thanks to all the voices you heard in this episode. Uh, thank you to Sonics, who do all our transcribing for us. Yeah, if we if you want to get a super great discount with Sonics, you can visit sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped and you'll get 100 free minutes of transcription uh, using their fantastic service. We'd also like to thank uh, Chris Sutera, who did our season two graphics, and Izzy Lawrence, who did our season one graphics. 
Sam and Martin from the Song by Song podcast for the tune they can hear right now. And of course, Mr. Tom Wally, our amazing producer who, who keeps us uh, buoyant in this floating uh, <laughs> docking <laughs> container. Boy, I, I don't know where this analogy is going. Quick, quick, Kobe, safe, safe. <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, guys, um, we are at the Wire Stripped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love hearing from you there. And if you want to get send us an email, which you guys are excellent at, uh, contact us using burner at thewirestripped.com. And if it's your first time listening to us, uh, please do subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Uh, and leave us a review, if you don't mind. Uh, we, we always like reading our reviews, and it really helps us out. Yeah, and tell your friends, of course. Tell all of your friends. Tell all of your friends. That's it for now, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Yes, for Hot Shots. The, the Charlie Sheen episode. <laughs>